Good morning. Let's pray and then we'll get going and you'll find out why we have a beautiful picture on the screen. Thank you, Lord, for the way you love us, for the way you provide for us, for the way that your word speaks life into us. Help us to have a posture of openness to receive your word so that your life might just flow right out of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, good morning. We are continuing on in the Gospel of John. We're in John chapter 7, um, the second half of chapter 7. These chapters are super long. Um, and before we open John, we're going to get into a time machine. And we're going to go back into Bible, into Bible land. We're going to set it back to about 1,500 years before Jesus. 1,500 years before Jesus. We're going to be in the Sinai wilderness, just outside of the Sinai wilderness. The Hebrew slaves um, have been freed by God from Egypt. They've seen plagues. They've experienced the Passover. They've crossed through the Red Sea. They've spent about a year at the base of Mount Sinai. And if you're in women's Bible study, you've spent about a year there with us in the study of Exodus. <laughs> they've received the Ten Commandments. But freedom was hard. And being in the wilderness and the desert was risky and scary. In Numbers 20, the people had been in the wilderness, the desert called Kadesh, and they'd been without water for days on end, and they were very thirsty. They were very thirsty, like they might die. They're so thirsty. So we're going to pick up in Numbers 20 in our time machine and read what happened there. Now, there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron, and they quarreled with Moses, and they said, if only we died earlier. Why did you bring us all the way into the wilderness so that our livestock, so that we would die here? Moses and Aaron went to the assembly, to the entrance of the tent meeting, and they fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, take the staff. And you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he'd commanded him. And in front of the assembly, Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. And water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. In the Old Testament, the people were commanded to observe a celebration called the Feast of the Tabernacles, Sukkot, which I always mispronounce. This was intended to be a week-long celebration in Jerusalem for the sole purpose of rejoicing in the way that God provided for God's people when they were in the wilderness. It was a celebration of freedom, a remembrance of the manna, and the water. And they lived in tents, and they recalled that we are all in a wilderness of some type. And this festival also looked forward to the deliverance that God would have for God's people. Isaiah 58 says this, The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your need in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. A spring whose waters never fail. 
The Feast of Tabernacles was a remembrance that it is God who sustains us. It is God who gives us food. It is God who gives us water. It is God who redeems us. The Festival of Tabernacles seems really important in the Gospel of John. And this is our second week in the Festival of Tabernacles in John chapter 7. And we would do well to recall this festival, especially as we seem to be going through a season in the wilderness ourselves as a global community being in this pandemic. How have we been sustained by God in this time? Well, this morning, we're dedicating a very special painting that was given to us by Katie Nelson Troyer, painted by her using watercolor. You can see it on your screen. And those of you who came in, if you didn't get it, we have little copies of the painting for you as you leave. Using watercolor, Katie was meditating on the ways that God has provided for us in our own Kadesh wilderness. Even as God provided for the Israelites in the desert, so now God provides living water for us in our wilderness. Kadesh is the name of the location, but Kadesh as a word also means holy or sacred. Isn't it sometimes when we look back our hardest times that have been the most holy for us, the times when we felt closest to God? Sometimes a work of art helps us to pray. There's a discipline called visio divina, which means divine looking. I'm inviting you. Sometimes my words won't work for you. You can just look at the picture, and that's okay. And that can be your prayer and your entrance into the scripture this morning. And you can take it home. Our prayer is that it will be used as a prayer for you. What do you notice about the painting? Maybe you notice the stone or the rock. Maybe you notice the lines of water just goes everywhere, doesn't it? One cannot control the shape or the direction of living water. You might notice the red stripe that's running cleanly vertically down the painting. You might recall for you the Passover when Israelites painted blood on their doors so the angel of death would pass them by. You may recall for you Christ, the Passover lamb, our own living water. So I want us to have this image in our minds as we read our passage today. As we approach John 7, we're setting our time machine forward again, 1,500 years to the time of Jesus, and we are with Jesus in Jerusalem for the Festival of Tabernacles. It's harvest time, and the faithful were required to go to Jerusalem and live in tents, the same kinds of tents that they lived in during the exodus from Egypt, and also they were commemorating the return of the exiles um, back into Israel. The harvest is in. But this time in fall was an, usually a period of drought in Israel. The rains wouldn't have come since in spring. And the cisterns would be low. And the springs would be weak. And the hills would be barren. The ground could not be renewed without water. Therefore, as a part of the festival, there would be a prayer for water to replenish the country agriculturally as well as to refresh the land spiritually. And each day of the feast, there was a water ceremony with a procession of priests. They marched to the south border of the city to a spring. And in that place, a priest would fill a golden pitcher up with water from the spring. And they would chant Isaiah 12:3 that said, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Can you see it? A priest dipping a pitcher in. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And the water was carried back up the hill 
to the water gate, not the water gate, the water gate, and people would go with the priests and they'd carry branches. I brought show and tell. They'd carry two branches in each hand. One branch would represent the sticks that made up the tents, and the other branch would represent, pretend like these are lemons and not dogwood blossoms. The other branch would represent the, the harvest, the fruit that was coming in. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. With a golden pitcher and all these people following the precept. There was high drama in this festival. And the crowd would shake the leaves and they would, they would chant from Psalm, Give thanks to the Lord our God, for he is good, his love endures forever. And when the procession arrived to the temple, the priests would climb up the altar steps. The altar is the table where they made the sacrifices. And the priest would pour water over the altar while the crowd circled him and sang. And on the seventh day, in the final day of this festival, the procession took place seven times. Like, I feel like we don't do Christmas right. <laughs> this festival is so big. This ritual recalled God providing living water in the wilderness. And here the water was flowing from the sacrificial rock altar. And in Zechariah and Ezekiel, there are also visions of rivers flowing from the temple. A miraculous display of God's blessing. All right, we're in our passage now. And we have this festival. And Jesus is there. And people are trying with all their might to figure out who this man is. Should we arrest him? Is he the Messiah? Who knows who he is? So we're going to pick up the passage in John 7 at verse 25. We're finally to the passage. <laughs> 25. At that point, some of the people in Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? But here he is speaking publicly, and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities concluded that he's the Messiah? Oh, but we know where this man is from, and when the Messiah comes, no one will know where he's from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I'm from. I'm not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. Well, at this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Still, many in the crowd believed in him, and they said, When the Messiah comes, would he perform more signs than this man? Well, the Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent the temple guards to arrest him. And Jesus said, I am with you only for a short time, and then I'm going to the one who sent me. You'll look for me, but you won't find me, and where I am, you cannot come. And the Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where the people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean when he says, you'll look for me, but you won't find me, and where I am, you cannot come? Let's pause there. Can you feel the tension? Here's my loose translation of what we just read. Some people were saying, hey, what's the deal with this guy? We thought the officials were going to arrest him, but here he is, holding forth in broad daylight. Well, he can't be the Messiah, right? We know where he's from. And Jesus said, actually, I came from God. And then they tried to get him, but he slipped away. And they thought, huh, this guy does perform a lot of miracles. Could be that he's the Messiah. Maybe we believe. 
And the officials got wind of this, so then they sent their temple guards to arrest them. And the temple guards were like deacons with muscle, if you will, right? They're kind of well-read. And when the guards went to get him, he was talking nonsense. He was speaking in puzzles. And he seemed to be talking about going back to be with God, but then the people thought he meant to, he was going to Greece to talk to the diaspora, and nobody understood him. All right, we're in verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, when the golden pitchers were going up seven times, and people were waving branches, and the psalms were being recited, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, who those who believed in him were later to receive. But up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing these words, some of the people said, Surely this man is a prophet. Others said, He's the Messiah. Still others asked, well, how can a Messiah come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus, the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, well, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he's deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? No. But the mob that knows nothing of the law, oh, there's a curse on them. Now Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, well, does our law condemn a man before hearing him to find out what he's been doing? And they replied, oh, are you from Galilee too? Look into it. You'll find out a prophet does not come out of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, before we camp out on Jesus' profound statement on the last and final day of the, set of the festival, let's look at the response the people have to him. <laughs> Confusion. Who is this man? Really? Something he's a prophet, something he's a messiah. The temple guards were sent to arrest him, and they couldn't do it because he was too amazing. And the Pharisees are frustrated, and the people are amazed. And Nicodemus, who we met in chapter 3, he seems to be interested in giving Jesus a fair hearing. Yay, Nicodemus. So all around, this living water, this messiah, this provision from God is among the people, and he's saying, I'm it. Life is in me. But the shape of him is not what people expected. What is the shape of water, after all? Probably looks a lot more like that than what they want him to. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty Come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture had said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Does this sound familiar to you? We just read it in chapter 4, a conversation that Jesus had with the woman at the well. He said to her, 
Everyone who drinks this water from the well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. So, we are to interpret Jesus as both the living water and the one who gives the water of life to believers. Jesus is the source of living water and invites the thirsty to come to him and drink. Did you notice the qualifications Jesus gave? How do we get this living water? Thirst. All we have to do is be thirsty. We don't have to have some super secret knowledge. We don't have to be important people. We don't even necessarily have to be in the sanctuary of a church worshiping. We just have to be thirsty. Thirsty. Let's go back to 2021 in our time machine. And here's the question for each of us to consider. How thirsty are you? How thirsty are you? And where are you getting your water? I don't know about you, but I can go for days or weeks without tending to my own spiritual thirst. And I'm a pastor. <laughs> that rock in the painting, that rock is like my heart. I need water, right? And remember, it's water that forms canyons. With heart. But when my heart is stony, I start to see symptoms that I'm actually pretty thirsty. Maybe I don't even know that I'm thirsty until I see the symptoms. And maybe you have some of my symptoms, and maybe you can think of other symptoms that you have. Here are my top symptoms. Symptom number one, I get very short with my children and my husband. I become more critical and less encouraging. Maybe I'm thirsty. Symptom number two, I start to holler at other drivers on the road, not because they're doing anything wrong, but because they're slowing me down. I think if people saw me, they'd probably think I was crazy. Symptom number three, I'm just numb. And I know that I'm numb because I'm watching Netflix and I'm, I'm not doing that continue. Are you still watching? Thing comes on and <laughs> maybe I'm still watching. I'm short with my children, I shout at other drivers, I'm numb. Symptom number four for me, the smallest little comment from a friend can make me cry. Oh my goodness, Brandy, did you see those flowers? <laughs> yes. Right. And finally, I start to realize that the fruit of the Spirit is strangely absent from me. I don't know where my joy went, my peace, love, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. It's gone. Maybe I'm thirsty. Maybe I'm thirsty. Living water is a term that the Israelites would have known really well. Living water means water that's flowing and coming out of a spring. It's different from still water. Do you all know what a cistern is? A cistern is a container that gathers rain water and you collect water there, that would be still water, right? Mosquitoes can gather there. You'd have to filter it before you drink it. Spring water is fresh. It's gurgling up from underneath. It's not brackish. Living water in Scripture was precious and valued. And according to rabbinic law, it was the only water that could be used in ritual washings to make unclean worshipers pure. Living water is also a phrase in Scripture that is used to refer to God. In the prophet Jeremiah, God uses living water as a metaphor for himself. 
and the alternative to living water is the kind of water that collects in cisterns. Listen to this from Jeremiah 2.13. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Christ offers to the thirsty the life-changing reality of living waters. How often do we come to church with our little containers? We want to collect our living water. Here's a Darien container. Let's come to church and we'll just dip our container in the water, right? We'll get enough water for the week. Or maybe you don't have a big one. Maybe you just have a medium size. Or maybe you bring a Dixie cup to church. You're like, okay, let's get some living water. Let's go. I don't know if that, how that's going to last us a week, though. I don't know how that's going to last me the next 10 minutes. Jesus is saying, I'm the source of your water. Drop the cistern. It's going to be inside of you. Right? You come to me. We, on our own, cannot hold living water because we're broken like cisterns. And it leaks out. And friends, I believe that is good news. Because it's not up to us to have our own thirst quenched. <laughs> we can't manufacture water. We can collect it, but we can't really store it for very long. And we need the source. We need that living water inside of us. But I, I, I'm not sure that I always like the idea of Christ being living water. I walk around trying to fill up my Dixie cup as I move along, right? With whatever packaged spirituality of the day there is. Maybe I need more security. Maybe I need to meditate more. Maybe I need self-esteem or status. So what does it mean that Jesus is living water? Many years ago, Sprite came up with a genius marketing campaign. Do you remember it? Image is nothing. Obey your thirst. Image is nothing. Obey your thirst. Perfect for this passage. But of course, the content is all wrong. Who can have their thirst quenched by soda? Just the thing that our culture tells us to put in our cisterns, right? We drink the Sprite. We think it's going to sustain us. But the truth is, drinking Sprite is what we do when we are overly concerned with our own image. Going for living water is a totally different thing. Jesus does not allow us to keep him in a cistern. Living water doesn't work that way. Living water speaks truth to us. The image of God resides in us. And we, having the Holy Spirit now, are like the temple with that pitcher of water just poured out over us. It's really amazing. And I love what Katie did with this image of water, how it's just going everywhere. And when we allow the living water to fill us, it spurts out and it waters other living things. And it's so beautiful. I believe the living water that can quench our spiritual and physical thirst is the reality that we are created in the image of God. That the Holy Spirit, the living water, can dwell in us, allowing the image of God to flourish and become our core identity. And that can sustain us through any kind of wilderness. May Christ have mercy on us as we try to conform him to our own cisterns. May Christ gently encourage us to be receptive to living water, even dwelling within us. Thanks be to God 
for the way he provides to us, for us this living water. Let's pray. Lord, we are once again amazed and we have sympathy for the people in John 7 who couldn't fit you into their own categories. Have mercy on us as we try to fit you in and show us how we might live more abundantly because we have received from the springs of living water, which are, of course, you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.